This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is Leave Room for the Wrath of God. So have you ever felt like you wanted to get back at someone who hurt you? Because there's no way that we can actually leave room for the wrath of God unless we know exactly why we need to leave room. The command coming from Paul, really the Lord, to leave room for the wrath of God means there's an expectation of us seizing the moment for some other reason. So what do those feelings feel like? Well, a good question is, how long has God waited to take vengeance upon Satan? Now, true, uh, in heaven, one day is 1,000 years to man. So when God refers to a day, he's referring to, humanly speaking, a 1,000 years. And that's why the end times is 6,000 years, plus a 1,000 for the 1,000-year reign. So it's seven days to God, just like he created the earth, and all that is in it, and seven human days, in the end times, it is 7,000 years. Ninety plus percent of every theologian I've ever read or referenced believes that the end times are not going to be longer than 7,000 years. Some believe the pre, post, mid, millennium, do all kinds of stuff with that belief, but basically they believe, collectively, whether you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian, they pretty much believe that the lifespan of this age that God is referring to is 7,000 years. That's it. We're at the end of it. That's not a surprise really to any Christian I've ever met. That means to Satan, he has to use the time system of man, not God. He can't mess with God's time system. Impossible. He's tried. It doesn't work. He can't figure out the book of Revelation. As a human, I, and as you guys know, I'm I'm writing this book on that book. And as I study this book, the more I realize Satan is really stupid. And the word stupid from Hebrew, because it's not used in the Greek, interesting as that is, the word stupid from the Hebrew is a man who knows the right thing to do it, but will not do it. Satan actually can read the book of Revelation and see how his life's going to turn out. And he still doesn't get it. I want to talk about why that's true. How can an evil person not get it? How can someone pay out revenge and not get it that it's going to come back on them and lessen their life? That it's going to destroy them? The mind is a very fragile aspect of our design. We live in these bubbles that I referred to several weeks ago in a sermon, um, thinking out of the box. That term actually comes from a Greek word picture of the mind, a box. 
thinking out of the box is actually not being stuck in your little design of what you have come to believe life really is. The mind is under the mandate and control of this this clock. It's run by a battery and it just is obedient to just go round and around and around and we look at it and we can we can check our pulse, we can we can go hope Finney's done by noon. We you know we cannot manipulate this piece of plastic. You can manipulate everything in life. Absolutely everything. Everything, everything, every person Everything, even the weather. But you can't manipulate this piece of plastic. It's impossible. You see, Satan knows that. He knows that the difference between the present and the past is only minute nanoseconds. What I just told you is already in the past. It's not in the present anymore. The box moves so so swiftly that it is impossible... To stop. They've tried time travel. My father was involved in those studies in the 50s. In the military. They tried it. But they cannot seize it. They can dissolve matter. They could dissolve this clock. But they can't bring it back. Now, the reason God set this one rule of thumb up was for the purpose of revenge. Now Satan doesn't want any of us to know this. So what Satan knows to be true is what some of us already know to be true and that is if your mind can be consumed with nanoseconds ahead which is what fortune tellers live off of. It's what witchcraft lives off of. Do you understand that? nanoseconds ahead of you, these demons are delivering information to to these people with tarot cards and whatever else they're using. And it's giving the person listening the sense that this person can look into the future. Now, there's no looking into the future by demons. They are bound by this clock because they're bound on the earth. What they do is they put ideas in people's boxes and then in the future, which could be seconds, minutes, hours, days, or years, they bring it about. So they're not foretelling the future. They're planting seeds of destruction so that the next five minutes, the next two hours, the next two years in that person's life, they have them meet that blonde guy who happens to ask them to marry them. So it sounded like the fortune teller was correct. No, demons cannot mess with the clock either. They can't look into the future. So they can read the book of Revelation and have absolutely no idea what it's talking about. You can read the book of Revelation and understand what it's talking about because you have the Spirit of the Lord in you who is not bound by a clock. I'm just breaking this down to the basic science of theology. There is even a science to it. Clocks. Time. Time is the only thing that man and demons cannot manipulate. So therefore, vengeance, Satan knows what I just told you. So what he does is he tries to get that person 
obsessed about the next minute. Tomorrow. Tonight. Next week. Next month. So that He can mess with your present. That's all He's doing. And when God says, wait... He's trying to keep trying. He is communicating that to us, but our little finite minds get all stuck in this talk, and we don't understand that God is saying, "Wait," because everything has its appointed time, even vengeance. So let's look at the Hebrew on this. Okay, girls, you want to come up with your pictures? All right. From the Hebrew, vengeance. From the pictorial Hebrew in particular, Nahaham, which is, from what I understand how it's pronounced, is the action that follows chaos. So Satan wants to create chaos because vengeance is going to follow chaos and he's usually guaranteed that you are going to follow up chaos with this action. Now, as you know, we read backwards in Hebrew. So we, who has the fish? Okay, so you have to stand over here and show them the fish picture. And then who is going to be the head? Okay, and Phoebe, I mean, uh, Tori, look at the head. Tell me which way you're supposed to stand. Okay, so you stand like that. Okay, and Phoebe, you must be the water. Okay, so you face them and turn this around and show them the water. Now, this is what vengeance means from pictorial Hebrew. Gracie is fish and Tori is the head, the back of the head to be precise, precise, and Phoebe is the water, that which means the same thing that fire means in the Hebrew, consumes. So, when God refined the earth, he flooded it. He consumed it, enveloped it. So vengeance is, the fish is symbolic in the Hebrew as action. This is the original symbol from pictorial Hebrew. Action moves very briskly. The back of the head is what is behind you, what follows. And then the water is that all-consuming, which is also one of the Hebrew symbols for chaos. When the flood happened, it was chaotic. People were screaming and hollering and, and begging and pleading with God, and God said, no, I'm in vengeance mode. This is done. It is finished. The fish that follows you guys is done. My work is done. Okay, girls can go sit down. Thank you. So vengeance is that quick action that follows screaming people, consuming people, rebellious people, chaos. Chaos is one of the 13 names of Satan. There's a surprise, huh? The result of what Satan did to these people in that, that box God gave them warning after warning after warning. And these people continued to pay out vengeance upon each other. Vengeance is thinking and being obsessed with the next moment. That's what we're going to learn in the Greek now, out of these passages. The Greek 
references this more. What follows the mind? The chaos in your mind. You've got to get rid of it. And you think the best way to get rid of this chaos is to go sword on sword. Tooth on tooth. In reality, it brings on more chaos. So, um, Q, you want to read, read out that passage again? Okay, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. For whatever reason, God designed our conversion, our salvation, our receiving Jesus Christ into our mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit as an add-on to evil. He could have given a heaven our bodies fall on the ground when we got saved and given us our new body. The Holy Spirit filled that new body, basically what we get in heaven. No. He takes this broken down temple and he puts the Holy Spirit inside this broken down temple that still has sin in it, but the sin is not us. And we have to consistently, day in and day out, reckon to know ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. Well, there's probably a reason why he did it that way. Now we've got to understand something. Our flesh is an exact mirror image of Satan. When our flesh stands in front of the mirror, it sees the face of the enemy. There is no difference. Hatred, animosity, all the stuff that's mentioned about our flesh is the face of the enemy. Now when we're walking after the Spirit, we stand in front of the mirror and we see the life of Jesus Christ. We reflect His glory. Well, Satan goes, I got that going in there in, in you too. You reflect my glory. So our flesh is just ugly. Our self-life flesh is filthy. So, the enemy has worked for years to have us feel inferior, insecure, inadequate, guilties, worries, doubts, fears, etc., etc. Hopefully, um, from his perspective, to the point that our psychological adjustment is, is wavering. There's something wrong with the way we think. So therefore, we look at a vengeful person or a hateful person, we go, what is wrong with them? Why don't they get it? They don't get it because they are consumed by the image of the enemy. They're standing in front of the mirror every day looking at themselves in the mirror and all they're seeing is the enemy. Because flesh bears witness with flesh. Spirit bears witness with spirit. And the spirit wages war against this flesh. And the flesh wages war against the spirit of the living God in you. So, now that Satan has got all this all worked out in you, and you have this salvation experience when you're 16 years old, like I did, but I wasn't discipled. So he was off over here, and I could say, well, I know I'm saved, I'm assured of that, I'm secure in my salvation, I know I have all of the goods, but I am consumed by this. 
What I'm saying today that you should really be saying is, oh, I know that I've got the life of Christ, but I am comfortable with looking into the mirror and seeing the face of the enemy. Many people are extremely uncomfortable with righteousness. They hate truth. This hates truth. So if you say to this person, oh, you're not in fear, you're, you're, you know, you're capable, you're this, you're that, and you give them all this positive stuff, and they come back with hostility after you give them a compliment, and they go, no, I'm not. I'm just this, I'm just that. No, I'm not. They do these kinds of things because it is their identity. It is what is being reflected from them. So the enemy counts on that in vengeance. He's worked your whole life getting this stuff in you so that he can bring these problems into your life when you get older, which normally doesn't start until you hit the age of ministry. Then he just starts pouring it on because he wants this list. He's guaranteed to get it, by the way. Guaranteed to get it. He will get this out of you if this is your reflection. Guaranteed. There's no escaping it. He knows it. He knows all he's got to do is hammer you day in and day out and day in and day out in this box. If your identity is not in Christ, you're going to give off this stuff. You'll, you'll give this other person these things. We have to look at that. The first verse we're going to look at in the passage is never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Well, I'm not sure I'd say anyone. But he is. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Which raises a couple very interesting questions. One, the Greek word for pay is to give a man what he deserves. So, so far we have, don't give the man what he deserves. I'm like, yes I do. He at least deserves my silence. See, silence is the greatest sin to mankind. Because it forms passivity. And passivity is why people go to hell. What I just told you, Satan not only knows, he lives on that. Silence, my old boss would say, is the most powerful human reaction possible, known to mankind. Jesus Christ himself used it. Silence. It's powerful. All this verbiage... Five-year-olds do that. So Satan knows that he needs to at least get the man to be silent with sin, not share and communicate what's really going on. So when he's saying don't pay forward, never pay forward, actually. This is a heavy-duty deal. It's a new kind of silence. Evil in the Greek for this word is actions or acting like a child or follower of Satan. Evil to me, without looking in the original passages, is kind of like, well, the actions of the devil. That makes sense. But that is not how this is stated in this passage. It's actually being stated in this passage as a proactive follower of the enemy. So, here's what he's saying so far. Never give a man what he deserves... 
by giving to him the very actions you learn by Satan. Reflection. I think if you and I were sitting under a tree listening to Paul preach, this stuff would make sense and blow us away. Why? Because they thought in pictures. Now we have to translate words and break them down and figure out what the Latin and the English say and connecting to the Greek and the Greek and connected to the Hebrew. Whereas back then, these guys would say this and they'd say, don't go acting like Satan. Don't give them satanic behavior back. And they go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But no, we got to go process it for three hours. Why? Because of this moment. Satan wants intellectual wrestling here, consumed by... What did he really mean by that? Is he picking on me? Versus, oh, I got it. See truth, hear truth, accept truth. Now you'll get set free. Not ten minutes from now. It's gone ten minutes from now. When you say, i got to go think about this and i gotta, I got to go pray about it. I, well, maybe you do. So I'm not going to reject that. I'm just saying, when we have to pray about truth, it's gone! The moment of deliverance is hearing truth to set you free now. It's present. It's now. When we put it over here, well, I'm going to read through that later. Now, we have to do that in our age today because people are concerned about what I am about to say or they're thinking about something that's going to happen three hours from now. Or maybe they're worried, and worried from the Hebrew means tomorrow. Well, worry is where most people live, tomorrow. So for Jesus to come and say, well, don't be concerned about tomorrow. Actually, it was pronounced morrow. Because in the morrow has its own evil reflections of Satan. Be consumed about today. So Jesus is always about this day, this moment. Satan is already always about the morrow because it produces worry. So in the Hebrew it means person of the eye. So it's a person facing an eyeball. It's a person of the eye. That's evil. I'll believe it if I see it. That's evil. Sight living, folks, as, as, as we get into these original texts, you're going to see very quickly that sight living is evil. There is a world around us that has nothing to do with this couch and, and furniture and pictures and whatever. It is a world we are not, do not have permission to, to mess with. But it is what we see is not what we get. And as long as a person is bound by that, Satan will know that that person will not be a person of faith. Someone give me the definition of faith. So when we are bringing that truth into vengeance, is mine, saith the Lord, we have this. If sight living is evil, it's the way which evil sounds so bad, so I'll try to make it sound nicer. Sight living is how the enemy lives. Okay? Pretty simple, right? So when we look at him in the book of Revelation, which is all future and all past. 
for him to figure out the line between all that past stuff and all that future stuff, he, 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 doesn't, he, he doesn't know what to do. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to bring evidence to truth. Since he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he has no ability to openly see the past, present, and future as one moment. John was ushered in from the earthy to the heavenlies, and he saw everything, I can assure you, by what is said in the scriptures, he saw everything at one moment, like God does. That's all. It wasn't weird. So when God sees forever past and present and forever future, it's all a moment. There's no waiting. But we have to have mandates to wait because we're stuck in our thousand year clock. Wait. That moment hasn't come, Stephen. Yes, sir. When to God, it has. Well, the enemy can't get his arms around that. He's like, ah. So therefore, he's without understanding. So when people act like him, they're acting without understanding. Very powerful, simple principles. Faith. Now with vengeance is this. Do you not know, Stephen, that you're not fighting flesh and blood? But someone finished the verse for me. It's two separate worlds. So here's how I see it and hear it in my head oftentimes. Stephen, do you not know that we're not dealing with the seen world here? This person is upset at you and they're reflecting the image of the enemy. But see, this is not the world I want you to deal with. The world I want you to deal with is going to have to be done through the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit in that realm to fight the good fight for you. Oh, is that how it works? So don't go casting more satanic stuff at him because he's casting satanic stuff at you. That is reflecting that you're just like him. You have the same God. That's how blunt it is. So respect in the Greek is to consider in advance, looking forward. That's what real respect is. So for me to respect you, I'm actually looking down the road to what he will become, not who he is today. It's who he will become. That takes faith. But if I judge him according to his past, which I have done, if I judge him according to his past, I bind him to the enemy. That's what's being said. So right in this passage from the Greek means virtuous actions that reveal God. Righteousness. That is the most common Greek definition of righteousness. Sight is face, presence, and it is not my view. That is how this verse is typically read, is to respect what the viewpoint is of that person. So what that does is silence you in confronting them. No, I will not respect their viewpoint of the scriptures. No way. Unless it's right. Unless it's revealing God. Then I will respect their viewpoint. But that's not what's being said here. It's looking forward in the future, virtuous actions that revealed God. And in this present moment, you are looking at Q going, this young man is going to be a powerful vessel for God. 
today his viewpoints are a little tweaked. So what happens is he's seen that look in my eye that even I know my opinions are whacked and he's still standing here respecting me. I am winning him to the gospel. But most guys I disciple know I don't agree with most of what they say or do. But I can do this. So, here's our conclusive statement for that verse. Never give a man what he deserves, or woman, particularly actions that replicate Satan. While you're in his presence, consider in advance and look forward to how this man could be in Christ Jesus, allowing the virtuous actions of Jesus to work, allowing the big fish to move briskly to his goal. We get in the way of Christ accomplishing his brisk actions through our vengeance. Because now the leader has to take time for the one displaying vengeance instead of staying to the original goal and objective of reaching that person. Now he's got two people to teach. Instead of being a distraction, we need to be an attraction for these believers or non-believers. Okay, peace. Uh, The next verse in 18, it says, If possible, so far as to depends on you, be at peace with all men. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be totally honest with you. This is a verse in the New Testament that has bothered me. I am not a peaceful sort of guy. If I'm not pulling my sword out, I'm rattling it in the sheath. I understand what peace means, and I have for many years. It does not mean lack of war. Jesus will be peaceful as he is filling the valley with blood. He will be the God of peace. So I'm not saying that intellectually I do not understand that peace involves war. It does. But usually when I see this verse I go, No! That's passivity. Well, my grandpa was a pacifist, remember? Quaker preacher. They took it to mean no war. So that's what I grew up with is this No, this isn't true. When in reality, it means this. Possible, Greek there, is powerful or capable. Hebrew is actually what comes from the prince, which I find extremely interesting in Hebrew because the prince of peace hasn't come yet. Right? The Hebrew is filled with Jesus. Just filled. Torah means cross, what follows the cross. So for Pete's sake, Jesus has been well-groomed throughout the whole Bible, past, present, and future. So possible is capability, it's power, it's what the prince gave you authoritatively to carry out. Two, the word depends means to put upon or to be among for the purpose of a cause. And it's like, it's kind of like a a armor that is put upon you for a particular purpose. It's very warrior oriented to be dependent on your commanding officer, on your prince of peace. So then the word peace is to from the Greek is to live without conflict slash, slash war. Now if we just left it at that it would sound like passivity and I can understand why the Quaker preachers were preaching pacifism. But that is not what's being said here. 
the Hebrew, and I and I ha- I looked everywhere I could look, Greek wise, and I could not find anything but passivity. But when I looked into the Hebrew, I got the full impact of the meaning because then I can look at the whole passage and see exactly what's being said here. And that is that a Christian has been given the power and authority to conquer chaos. The war is not with the person in front of me. The war is taking my sword, which is the Word of God, and I point the sword at the other world. Not at the guy. The other world. You do not fight flesh and blood. You fight powers of darkness. It's very proactive. It's very army oriented. It's very aggressive. But it's not at the man. And it made sense. Finally came together for me. So now here's our conclusion on this particular verse. If you have the power or capability of the Prince of the Peace in you, and if you're born again, you do, put on the shods, which are the shoes. They're actually coverings. They weren't really shoes. The shods of peace so that you will live within with minimum conflict and war. Use your God-given authority to destroy the effects of all authority that causes chaos. That's Hebrew and Greek. This is also a great way to describe chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. It is done. It is finished. And I, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, have accomplished all warring. Fulfilled. Done while I am the Prince of Peace. Peace involves resolving the people around you that are creating chaos. That's why church discipline was so proactive in the early churches, is you're removing chaos. Oh, we don't do that anymore, as you know. We get them on stage singing songs or put them to work. And they're very divisive. We got the strangest kinds of ministries in our churches today. I'm embarrassed to mention some of them. I've had counselees that were trained by their pastors to throw holy water in people's faces to agitate the demon so he'll speak through their vocal cords. I've heard very, very strange things in my office. God isn't behind this stuff. There's another force that's behind it. God doesn't agitate to do deliverance. God doesn't sin to free people. He does it in purity, honestly, up front, out front, for everyone to see. No secrets. Next week I'm going to try a new slide effect. It's just, just a little too much for me. Okay. Wrath. The next verse is 19, and it says, Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Of course, that's from the Old Testament. And it is fun for me, I don't know about you guys, but it is, it is fun for me to uh, be completely clothed by Hebrew and Greek. 
Even our original New Testament teachers did that. They didn't say, oh, that's the Old Testament. God consistently used words from the past for their present so because of our future standing in this room today that a teacher could do the same thing. Why? Because God saw the moment that he spoke and said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, on and on and on and on and on and on. And Paul, you know, and then forward, so that Finney could stand up and probably two, three, four thousand more preachers around the earth today, this very moment, saying this very passage. It's all one moment to God. Jesus came to fulfill your yesteryears so that you may be at peace living your present. Because your future years may not even be human years. You may not be here tomorrow. Not here. In this present reality. But you do have this moment. I had a counselee that died on the pulpit after he preached. He died. It's in Colorado. He just dropped dead after he was done preaching. I mean, but imagine some thinking, oh, the wrath of God was upon him to him who, who wanted to die preaching, and he literally died preaching. There's endless stories like that. Endless stories. See, we don't know what is tomorrow because all we have been given is today. In fact, this moment. And you have your past. Which if you carefully think that through, particularly in the Greek, it's coming up here, it is your present. What you did at two years of age is still with you today. If it's sin, it needs to be reconciled. If it's not, it's what made you and molded you for this moment today. So never is expression of absolute denial. So I am denial. I'm denying to take my own vengeance. Revenge is vindicate, retaliate, punish, and specifically it means to cause someone else to pay for their own sins. That is satanic, if you haven't picked that up by now. When you want someone to pay for their own sins, what they did to you, it's satanic. That's what Satan does. That's why everyone goes to hell that doesn't have Jesus Christ in their life. They have to pay for their own sins. So I'm hoping you see in the magnitude of this passage, he said, never, never make someone pay for their own sins because you're like the accuser. Number three is leave, which means commit to grant them. In this case, it's granting God or letting God be the minister. So, so far you have completely denied taking the temptation of having someone else pay for their sins, but actually commit to this. Give God his rightful license. That is, taking the license out of your pocket and you're passing him the license and saying, you have the license to decide whether someone's going to pay for their sins or not. I don't. He's the one with the license. We don't have it. So it's an illusion to think it's in your pocket. 
So the wrath from the Greek is violent passions. You don't have to club someone over the head with a stick to be showing wrath. In fact, from the Hebrew it says the weapon that knows the mouth. You're just mouthy. That is more wrath than weapon man. So there's a lot of people running around the face of the earth they are just filled with wrath. And that is their weapon is their mouth. So I may not send you to hell. But what I will do is make you think I can. That's what's being said here. I am condemning you. By my tongue. By my words or whatever the case may be. To repay is to return the wages that match the cause. That's what Jess was saying. You hurt me, I hurt you. I have pain, I want you to have pain. Not realizing, of course, you get another bucket load after you do it. Then you got to raise the ante again. Then raise the ante again. And you do that until there's a divorce or there's a murder or there's something. Divorce, as I've shared with you guys before, actually one of the Greek definitions of divorce is murder. It's a death of a relationship. It's a death of a contract. It's, it's saying the license one has no prerogative to carry out the judgments of the license. That's why divorce is so sinful. It's why God says, I hate it. You're taking the license in your own hands and saying, I'll decide what to do with this agreement. Here's our conclusion of this verse. Absolutely deny your own temptations to make others pay for their sins. Commit to ministering to them by allowing God his rightful license to vent his violent passion by returning to the offender his payment which will match exactly the harm offered you. Now I want to show you a real-time problem that God has with you and me, with vengeance. If God lives out what we preach today, he looks forward in advance to what the man could be. Do you realize he's going to need all the room necessary to decide if this man is going to deserve my wrath or not? So whether it's days, months, or years... God needs all the room necessary to decide if this man really needs and deserves equal, just payment. If I deliver it before he makes that decision to send that person to hell, they can't go past go or collect $200. If I do this before he does, it puts us in the position of acting exactly like the enemy. That's the problem that we're dealing with. We are not allowing room for God to display his wrath. Which isn't for probably years. So you go, well, why does he keep getting away with evil? You ever thought that? Why do these people, they're successful while they're evil? Because God says, I'm not going to display my wrath until it's appointed time. Then I will give him payment that matches the sin. But I want to see if he accepts my Lord, my son as his Lord and Savior. Because if he does, he's, he's going to be forgiven of all of it. 
He's going to have a new past, new present, new future. So none of it's going to matter. That's not how us humans think. Oh, it does matter. I remember when he slapped me when I was eight. But to God, it doesn't matter. For I know not your sins. I have thrown them as far as the east is from the west. For I, the Lord God of Israel, have wiped away your transgressions. Well, as humans go, uh-uh, that's not, that. no, that is not going to fly with me. And I'm going to show you by doing some vengeance. Or maybe you do Christian vengeance, and it's called silence. I would rather have someone put a sword to my throat and get my hands all caught up getting the sword away from my throat than to have someone look at me in silence. Silence is lying unless it's God saying, keep your mouth shut. That's how simple it is. Okay, our last verse. But if you, this is uh, verse 20, I guess we had 21. But if you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Very famous passage, as you probably know. The Greek here for enemy is hateful, hostile actions of Satan. Hostile is also where uh, we get the word, uh, what? Hospitable. Which is also where we get hospital. Hospitable is a place of healing. Hostile is the refusal of healing. That's the definition of hostile. The refusal of healing. So the person like who acts like the enemy is saying, I refuse to let you have healing. Forgiveness heals, so therefore I'm certainly not going to forgive you. Hebrew, it's the weapon man. Now we're talking some real swords here. So if this guy pulls a sword on you, you just give him some food. He's craving something. Most people, when they're hungry, they either get crabby and upset. Cravings and hostility always have gone together. We know that. To be satisfied gets rid of the craving. If you get rid of the craving, you don't sin so much. That's common sense. That's why we have eating disorders and whatever. It's common sense. At least to God. Feeding is to supply a bit, is actually how it was put in the Greek. It's not to indulge. So if your enemy comes and you indulge him, you are actually giving credit to his evil. But if you give him just enough food to take the edge, the craving off, you are doing this verse. So it's not indulging him. Oh, you can have everything in my wallet. You, you know, here's all my whole food sack. It's no. Be proactive. Say, well, sit down, have some coffee and some food with me. You don't need to steal it. Just let's eat together. It's a different way of going at someone with a sword under your neck. It's very proactive. It's very relational oriented. Thirsty is the same way. Hebrew says it's a man who is hooked. Hooked like a fish hook. On strong water. Strong rod, that can mean two things in the Hebrew. On all-consuming anger, the flood, or I'm always thirsty. In other words, his thirst is never quenched. And that's what Jesus, the terms Jesus used. Very powerful verse. Heap, which is piled up or to burden. You're making the load so heavy that it's actually a burden. So by actually giving them 
morsels of food and water to drink, you're, ma- you're actually burdening them. You're making it too heavy for them. Once the heap turns into stones, these stones, God charges them and turns them to fire. And these, these coals are, are actually put on top of their mind. And the, the whole conclusion of these stones getting on top of this person's mind because you gave them some food and drink is this. But if you are fronted by a person who is acting like Satan and they are craving food and water, supply only enough to care for their needs. Do not overdo it. When you do this, you will be burdening their mind with righteousness. Not with a sword. With righteousness. And then finally, our last verse is, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome, the Greek is concert, uh, conquer, prevail, or to get victory. And evil is, from the Greek, depraved one, being noisy, clanging cymbals, wickedness, acting like Satan again. So in fact, two out of this passage was more noise. People just create noise. And so the Greek for good is benefit or well or actions founded in heaven. Hebrew, it surrounds and is inside no deception. Which means the same is on the inside as on the outside, which is also where the Greek got the word hypocrisy. It matches what is on the inside of the person. What you see is what you actually get. So here's our conclusion on that verse. Refuse to be conquered by Satan and do not allow him uh, the pleasure of victory, but instead reveal and prove the actions of heaven. Having your actions match those found in the heavenlies. So here's the separation of church and state on this. I don't have the ability to be honest. Neither do you. I can't match my outside words with my inside. I have no ability to do it. Jesus Christ lives inside this mortal body. I have a piece of heaven living inside me. My actions need to match those of heaven. And God says, I know you can't do that, Steve, so that's why I want Christ to do it through you. So by Christ doing it through you, you never have to worry about being the hypocrite. Just let go and let him do it through you. So, we can actually look at our new diagram in a different way. I have Jesus Christ, a piece of heaven, living inside me. The self has been crucified according to Galatians 2.20 and also Romans 6.6. It is Christ who is the one that brings this truth in through my mind, will, and emotions. And then I have his unspeakable joy, his mind, his peace, his strength, His resources. When I am afflicted and insulted, 
this pours out of me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the eight primary grapes of the Spirit. The body actually responds to this in a different way. The body responds to lies through ill health. Because ill health matches what's happening and going to happen in the pit of hell. Death. Walking after the Spirit, your body reflects life. Even though these bodies will have to die and stay in the grave, it still reflects the decision of walking after the Spirit to a certain degree. So we are actually being in Christ in order to actually live out this non-vengeful life. Therefore, we will have room to let, like Christ does, He Himself lets His Father have the room He needs to show His wrath. Christ Himself said, I didn't come to judge. Now He's coming back with a different attitude. But when He came to show us this life, oh no, I'm, I'm leaving room for the wrath of my dad. And you too need to leave room for the wrath of your dad. So here's our conclusion for today. Be not overcome by the plots of the devil, nor allow yourself to be subdued by his workers of iniquity, by accepting their purposeful injury. Do not suffer yourself with fleshly emotion, for if you do, you are rewarding their evidence of your lack of faith. Fulfill your calling by showing others the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in and through all that you think, feel, and do. Allow God all the time and room that he needs to pay them back for hurting the bride of his son. If you think one person is going to escape an insult casted to his bride, his son's bride, you are deceived. Not one soul will escape an insult given to the bride of Christ. Well, it's not to Christ. Men are supposed to handle sticks and stones may hurt me. You're never to offend the bride. Ever. Not on earth. Men should not allow anyone to offend their wives. Or in heaven. A woman is like a special prerogative to God's design. Because she matches and replicates the Holy Spirit. If anyone insults the Holy Spirit, read the scriptures yourself, you're in trouble. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. Take that and do what you want with it, with your, your theological you know, views. But I'm telling you, if you blasphemy the Holy Spirit, there is a separate consequence. So therefore... The whole end times is about God's vengeance on anyone who insulted his son's bride. That's all it is. God is a man, a father, an Abba, a God who takes full vengeance for the weakest side of his son's marriage. Us. So we're to leave these insults alone. Be therefore well content with insults, persecutions, and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when you, the bride of Christ, are weak, then you are strong. Because Christ is released through you, your mind, will, and emotions. 
to accomplish victory. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.